0: We've been looking at an incident in the life of Habakkuk, who is a prophet in our Old Testament, the first section of the the Bible that we study and we use as a guideline for life. And Habakkuk lives in a really difficult period of history. The Babylonians, the Chaldeans are about to come in and sweep and overwhelm Judah, taking full control. We know the rest of the story because we have the history. Judah will be completely ransacked, and they will be put into exile back into Babylon. Habakkuk can see this. He's watching the news. He's paying attention to the things that are happening around him, and he knows these things are taking place. And honestly, Habakkuk is frustrated, even angry with God, because he believes God should intervene in these circumstances. And yet, it seems, though, in the first prayer we studied is Habakkuk crying out, God, why aren't you listening? How long do I have to wait? How long are you going to wait to do something about this crisis? When will you move on our behalf? And God answers that, but in a way that Habakkuk doesn't like, because God says, these are things that are taking place because I've set these things into motion. My decisions, my my judgments, my actions are correct. And so Habakkuk comes back and questions that and says, essentially, God, why do you remain silent? And why are you using people who are more wicked than the people you intend to judge to discipline us and I simply don't understand? And God responds again, and this time with a, a huge display of his power and his might, reminding Habakkuk of all God has done in the past, all God is capable of doing now, and potentially all that God is capable of doing in Habakkuk's future. Habakkuk is overwhelmed by that display of God's greatness. And then in chapter three, where we start up and pick up today in the last part of chapter three, Habakkuk responds to that, understanding what's taking place and making a declaration of faith. In chapter two, God said, the righteous will live by faith. The answer to your circumstances, the answer to your difficulty, the answer to the, the many unanswered questions is to have faith. And Habakkuk responds to that and acknowledges, yes, I'll have faith. And yes, in a beautiful prayer he says, I know you've done these things in the past, but I'm asking you to do them for us today. And I'm asking you to, in the midst of your wrath, to not forget your mercy your kindness, and your grace. Which leads us to verse 16 where we pick up the very last part of Habakkuk's song, his, his words of praise to God. And he acknowledges the circumstances haven't changed. And in reality, some would say, well, God didn't answer Habakkuk's prayers because God didn't give Habakkuk the answer he wanted. It's amazing to me, and I've said this before as we've done this little study in the book of Habakkuk, how many times I assume God's not moving because God doesn't move the way I want Him to move. God doesn't act in the way I want Him to act. God doesn't say what I want Him to say. In other words, God refuses to be my puppet, and I get frustrated with Him. Habakkuk has come through that whole cycle of experience and recognized, okay, God is greater than I am recognizes that there needs to be a sense of humility, there needs to be a sense of of dependency that takes place. Because the reality is, Habakkuk's prayers were not answered the way Habakkuk wanted them. He wanted God to repent. He wanted God to change his mind about his judgment. He wanted God to change his mind about the discipline of Judah. He wanted God to somehow sweep past all of Judah's sin and focus only on Babylon's sin and remove Babylon and, re- and leave Judah in place. And that's not what's going to happen. And so Habakkuk finishes his song acknowledging that while his prayer wasn't answered, the faith that the righteous live by is still pertinent and still the core of Habakkuk's heart. So in Habakkuk chapter 3 verse 16, he acknowledges his fear. Because God didn't answer his prayer the way he wanted it answered, and because God's display of majesty and glory and greatness reminded Habakkuk what God's capable of, Habakkuk is in a place of complete fear, because the future looks so bleak, but yet that future is still under God's control, and Habakkuk is not sure about the resource. And so in verse 16, he says, I heard And I trembled within. Literally, that word in Hebrew means from the very depths of our heart. In their language, they often said, from the depths of our bellies. For everything inside of me trembles. My lips quivered at the sound. Rottenness, a word that means to go literally limp, to literally faint, entered into my bones. I trembled where I stood. One of the great things we've seen in Habakkuk is his honesty about every set of circumstances. In his case, we have his honest appraisal of his fear and his honest recognition of the devastation that what is about to happen, the judgment that's going to come out of the Chaldeans onto Judah, that judgment is going to be absolutely devastating. He says, now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against the people invading us." Though the fig tree does not bud, and there is no fruit on the vines; though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food; though the flocks disappear from the pen, and there are no herds in the stall. Now Habakkuk, it seems to us as we read it, sitting here in the 21st century, it seems poetic—a description of of S- situations in crisis, one after another. But Habakkuk is actually giving a commodities report. He is recognizing in advance of the invasion the impact of that on the land, on the economy, and on the people. It actually escalates. The fig tree does not bud. It is simply a delicacy for them. No fruit on the vine is the daily drink, the daily activity, the daily sustenance. Though the olive crop fails is a reference to both cooking and to light. They used olive oil for their cooking, they used it for medicinal purposes, and they used it for the oil in their lamps and for their light. It continues to increase. The fields produce no food, so the basic stables aren't there. So Though fox, the fox disappear from the pen, all essence of wealth disappears, and there her, are no herds in the stall. The Israelites did not eat a lot of beef, but they produced beef for other countries, and so even that's a reference to the complete loss of production and productivity and wealth. Habakkuk is afraid. Habakkuk is completely devastated, and he sees even greater devastation on the people. But Habakkuk comes to this conclusion, four simple things we can do when we're afraid and when we're devastated. The first oftentimes seems simple, but in moments of devastation can be difficult. Habakkuk makes a decision to worship. In verse 18 he says, yet I will celebrate in the Lord. How hard that is when our lives are destroyed, when our circumstances are outside of our control, to worship. We tend to, I think because of our culture and because we've had a relatively smooth time over the decades since World War II, even in other crises and other conflicts in Korea and Vietnam and other situations, the war on terror, these sets of circumstances that would be similar to Habakkuk's case where war was involved and economies were impacted. In those circumstances, we've done relatively well in Western civilization. And so we tend to think of worship as a luxury. We tend to think honestly that worship is something that entertains us. We evaluate worship the same way we evaluate a movie or a TV show. I liked it. I didn't like it. It was good. It wasn't good. It was on beat. It was off beat. It was too much beat. For Habakkuk, worship was the core of his devastation. Everything's lost. Everything's going to be destroyed. And the reality is, Habakkuk is looking into the future of what's going to take place. What we know historically is the devastation is worse than Habakkuk anticipated. But he said, I will worship the Lord. We know because last summer we studied together what took place after the devastation. And we looked at another young man who had been a part of experiencing the conquering of Judah, who had been a part of experiencing the devastation and destruction of Jerusalem, who had been a part of taken captive and moved into exile into a foreign country. And this young man who is named Daniel and whose book in history we studied last summer When we find him in captivity, when we find him exiled away from his homeland, when we find him separated from his family, when we find him without any economic resource, what do we find Daniel doing? Worshiping. In fact, one of the plots against Daniel's life is to create a scenario in which it would be illegal to pray to any god other than the royal leadership of Babylon. And even under that edict, Daniel faithfully prays. He faithfully worships. Every day on the correct hour, at the right moment, Daniel prays, Daniel worships. When our lives are devastated, one of the core issues we need in our life is our worship. And no law and and no prescription of behavior can keep us from doing that. We know that, because we've just spent the last two years learning how to worship when we couldn't treat church like the theater or the movies, and we had to find new ways to worship. We had to find ways to sing our songs in private or with just our families. We had to find ways to pray. And to study the Bible without teachers and without resource. Because we knew in the midst of our devastation, the one thing that would help us would be worship. And in the midst of our recovery, hopefully we're finding how important it is to worship. How great it is to be able to be together again. And to be able to hear one another's voices. And to listen I don't know about other congregations because I don't get the privilege to be in those places, but I know this church is singing more today than it has in the entirety of my pastorate. I've never known our church to sing like we're singing now. And it's not the act of singing. It is the act of worship. It is lifting our voices, but more importantly, it's lifting our hearts. God, I am trembling inside. I am falling apart. I am weak in this moment, but I will celebrate in you. I will worship. I will remember that I have an extraction. I have a removal, I have a rescue out of my circumstances. Habakkuk says again in verse 18, I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. God saved us. The ABCs that you saw in the song and heard that the kids experienced, and I believe Christy said there's eight of them that made the decision to want more information. Those ABCs, those simple little process of understanding and acknowledging, yes, I'm a sinner. I have made mistakes. I have done things wrong. Yes, I'm a sinner. And that knowing that I'm a sinner, knowing that I've made mistakes, knowing that I've made bad decisions, knowing that I've done things wrong, knowing that my behavior was never what it should be, or it was things that it shouldn't have been, I've come to that conclusion, I need something beyond myself. And I believe that Jesus is that answer. And I get to that place Paul described to the people in Rome, where I believe that Jesus is capable of forgiving my sins, and where I believe Jesus is capable of removing the wages of my sin, which is death, and giving me life through his shed blood on the cross. And I believe that Jesus is my Savior. And I come to see, I confess Jesus as my Savior. Again, Paul said, I confess with my mouth Jesus is Lord. Believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, and I am saved. My extraction has happened. Jesus has forgiven me. Jesus has demonstrated the absolute mercy and grace of God and given me life when I deserve death and given me hope when there was no circumstance to drive or motivate me and given me a future in His home that cannot be taken away. Because Paul would continue to say, those who believe Those who trust in Jesus will never be put to shame. And that there is nothing, neither height nor depth, angels, principalities, things present, things to come. There is nothing in this world that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Our Devastating sets of circumstances do not diminish the rescue, the extraction that God has in store for us. And so I worship, I celebrate in the Lord. I, I rejoice in the God of my salvation because my life is secure when my circumstances are most insecure. I have hope. And then there's a durability. There's a, there's a simple strength He worships. He rejoices in his salvation. He makes the decision to trust God for his salvation. And he says, the Lord, my Lord, is my strength. It's one of the rare cases where he uses the names, the personal names of God, and it literally translates Yahweh Adonai, which means sovereign Lord. Habakkuk had seen that. He didn't understand why God wouldn't move. He didn't understand why God wouldn't answer his prayers. And God just reminded him, not of his willingness to do whatever Habakkuk wants, but God reminded him of his ability to do anything he wants. That it was God's way, and it was God's timing. And Habakkuk's conclusion is, my God is so strong, my God is so capable, that that will be my source of strength. When everything else is withered, when I'm trembling within, when my lips are quivering at the sound, when rottenness enters into my bones and I'm trembling where I stand, the Lord, my Lord, is my strength. I worship I trust in Jesus and become saved, and and not in a cliché's word, but in a in a significant way that says, "Yes, I'm going to trust in Jesus. Jesus can and will forgive me, and He will hold me into eternity. And Jesus will give me my strength." Because it was never about my ability, it was never about my strength, it was never about how I navigate the crisis, but it is about how God will help me in the crisis. My salvation doesn't change world politics. My salvation doesn't change epidemics and pandemics. My salvation doesn't change economic collapse. But when everything else is gone, when the fig tree no longer buds and there's no produce and there's no sheep and there's no herds in the, in, the, in the stalls, in that moment I know that God is still my strength. The greatest commodity in my life cannot be removed because it is God himself in person living in me. So I have a durable life. And God gives us in the midst of our crisis agility. He makes my feet, Habakkuk says, like those of the deer. Referencing the hind, which is the the doe of the red, red deer species. And he enables me to walk on mountain heights. God gives me the agility to walk through this moment. Not myself, but God. I wish we knew the end result. I wish we know, knew what happened beyond this moment. I, I wish I could tell you successfully, like Daniel, who was taken captive and put into exile and continued to live and continue to testify about the greatness of his God while in Babylon. But the reality is we do not know. There is no historical information about Habakkuk beyond this point. We don't know if he's killed during the invasion. We don't know that he's executed as a spokesman of God before the Chaldeans who would be against anything and was opposed to anything related to any God other than themselves. We don't know if he stays behind in Jerusalem or if he leaves. But what we know is as he anticipated this coming crisis, Habakkuk believed he could navigate it. Because God, because God, not himself, but God would move and work in his life and make his feet like the deer and enable him to walk on the mountain heights. We don't know the conclusion to every story, but we know the agility and the ability to live through that story no matter how difficult or hard. And it's the simple trust in a God who gives us strength. A God who gives us wisdom. A God who directs and guides our paths. So if you're going to face something difficult this week, I challenge you like Habakkuk. Find worship. Lift your heart before God. Recognize and and understand that it is our salvation that secures us. And if you don't have or know that salvation, then make that decision today in this moment. Say, yes, yes, I need to believe in Jesus. Matter of fact, I would say, even if you're facing a great week, this is a great time to trust in Jesus so that you're prepared when something else may come. Trust in Jesus today. Find in that salvation The ability and the strength of God. Can I deal with the strength of what I may have to deal with? Can I I cope with it? Can Can I successfully navigate it? I don't know. But I know God can. And I know Jesus isn't just walking with me. He's walking in me. For I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live. But Christ who lives in me. And whatever I need to do in that moment, I will be able to do. Because I have learned as the Apostle Paul, regardless of my circumstances, to learn contentment in each and every circumstance. Whether well-fed or hungry, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me.